Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to the Innocence Redeemed podcast. My name is Ray Bergman, and I wanted to welcome you all to the show. On this podcast, I may do teachings and occasionally have guests on for discussion. One idea I had was having others on for testimonies, because I feel these are the real deal, and folks often do better in comprehending what is said when they hear someone else talking about something similar they themselves may be experiencing. So, we shall see what ends up happening with that. Alright, so in this episode of Innocence Redeemed, I would like to talk about sin in the church, or as we know, as the body of Christ. When we think of the church overall, what is the first thought that comes to mind? Community? Encouragement? Fellowship in Jesus Christ? Getting together for prayer? Worship and teachings? Helping one another? Caring for one another? All summed up, it is the culmination of all of us as one body in Christ, united in his spirit. Each of us serves a function, as does all parts within the body, as we find written in 1 Corinthians 12, and in verse 14, specifically, where the word says, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verses 24 through 26 further go on to say, While our presentable parts need no special treatment, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part of it suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. At least that's what we're supposed to be doing, as the word commands and illustrates. As many of you might know, I recently wrote a blog on having on the proper wedding attire for the uniting of the bridegroom, and some days after that, I guessed it on Just Praise Him Radio so as to explain how having on that attire, by knowing our Savior, knowing His Word, walking in His ways, and understanding how to hear Him is important. Shortly after this, I began to notice a lot of strife beginning to be stirred up among families. Now, I've been noticing it for a while, but lately it seems to be coming to a head with a lot of people. I saw it with friends, and I saw it in my house at times. And I've even seen it on Christian message boards, where you would think it should be least expected. And oftentimes, it is over such trivial things, yet there is a spirit of provocation that is attempting to bait believers into being caught up into strife. And part of this, by the way, is also a result of the spirit of confusion taking a stronghold over many. I've actually been noticing this since last year, but lately it seems that it's been on the increase. So as I began to pray on this over a few days, and I was thinking on it a lot, even during my downtime... And one particular day in prayer, the Lord told me to study Revelations 2 and 3. Now, when you take a look at these two chapters, depending on the translation you're using, there are sections outlined as to the types of churches and the ones that are blessed in God's favor, and as a result, they are facing persecution. But then there are those that are complacent in sin. You have the loveless church, the persecuted church, the compromising church, the corrupt church, the dead church, the faithful church, and the lukewarm church. I asked the Lord what he would have me write about when I was studying Revelation 2 and 3, and I asked him for understanding if he was having me write on division in the church, and he told me, not just division, my son, sin. After further prayer and review, he told me that he didn't only desire me to write on this, but to speak about it, so here we are. And friends, I just want to add in that most times I will use the New King James or the New Living Translation, and the reason for that is they are easier to follow for those who may not be as versed in the King James or have a harder time understanding. Alright, so when the Lord speaks of the loveless church in Revelation 2, the word says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. 
And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now what is his first love he speaks of in Revelation 2.4? Well, it's Jesus. All good things come from the Lord, and we could not do his works if we are not keeping our focus on him. Jesus needs to always be our first focus, guys. If you take a look at Jeremiah 2.2, it says, Go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says, I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. So when you compare these to what he is saying here, is through all of the trials and grief known as the wilderness in Jeremiah 2.2, and might I add the coming storm, our focus should always be first and foremost on him. Only then are we successful in overcoming whatever we face. If we lose our focus on Jesus and only concentrate on that which is negative around us, we risk slowing down in the race and losing our endurance. And if we have done great works, labored and had the patience to go through trials, we can't take our eyes off Jesus even if we have reprieve in between. We don't want to lose our footing. So the word further goes on to say in Revelation 2.5, Remember therefore where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So if you go further and look at Matthew 24.12, it says, And because lawless will abound, the love of many will wax cold. That is also why we are to keep our focus on Jesus. We keep our focus on him, so we do not run the risk of the love within us waxing cold. We don't want to give the root of bitterness any quarter, and as long as we are grounded in Jesus, his love remains in our hearts. There's a lot of importance in this because I'm seeing it now, I and mean, it's been happening to me, guys. I don't know about if you, any of you have been experiencing this. You get insulted and you have a tendency to get caught up in the drama and the temptation to respond, even though you know you shouldn't be because it's a snare. What we have to realize is that we're being baited, and we need to know how to be able to hear him so that we don't get caught up in it. When this happened to me recently, I heard the Lord say, don't respond, focus on me. Uh, just the other day, actually, a brother of mine was texting me about something similar, and I texted a response back saying, focus on Jesus. Now, the Lord allows some of us to go through this so as to be able to teach others what to do and what not to do. And the main thing we need to remember is to keep our focus on him at all times. This will be so direly important in the coming storm, and I can now understand why the Lord is having me talk about this with all of you. So as we move forward, we look at the persecuted church. Now in Revelation 2, verses 9 through 10, the word says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. So what are we being told here, guys? Well, in verse 9, the Lord is stating, Though you are in poverty, you are rich in spirit in Jesus Christ. He is saying he knows the persecution being dealt by those who say they are his but are not. They belong to the enemy, because if they didn't, they wouldn't be persecuting their fellow brothers and sisters within the church, within the body. Now, when you move on in verse 10, you can cross-reference that to what Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So in other words, we will be tested, tried, intimidated, and threatened, but we are to remain faithful to Jesus through all of it until the very end, for there is great reward. So that is what is meant when the word says to those who are faithful will be given the crown of life. Now further, if you go to look at Matthew 10, verse 28, it says, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so friends, this ties in with what I spoke of earlier when it comes to keeping the focus on Jesus. He is our rock and our fortress through whatever we go through. So now we get to the message given to the compromising church in Revelation 2, verses 13 through 16, where the word says, I know your works and where you dwell, 
where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name, and did not deny my faith, even in the days which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So what is being referred to in these verses is the teachings that are not of Christ. These essentially are the churches that never speak out against sin. They tend to preach peace, prosperity, but never speak of the correct doctrine concerning Christ and how he is desiring us to live. In other words, they never talk about sin and how it should be repented of and avoided because it might hurt someone's feelings. This church would be known as the hypocrite church, and that would be the one that omits the convicting parts of the word, or they are twisting it. The words spoken are one thing, but actions are where the true heart of the church is. And this matters, especially if they serve God, and this church is not. Because of this, it causes God's children to stumble, to go out into the world and take part in sinful pleasures, rather than honoring the Lord with a pure heart, because they do not hear the truth as it is written, or are only selectively taught what is good and not sinful. There is an illusion that because they are told that they belong to Christ, they can keep on sinning, and that they are automatically saved. You know, when we read about the woman caught in adultery in John 8, Jesus told her to go and sin no more. So here is an example of repentance, and unfortunately the reality is many churches do not talk about repentance, or if they do, it is a smack-on-the-hand sermon. Now from what I have seen from most sermons I have seen online that are with the mega-pastors, they tend to avoid topics that they believe to be found offensive or taboo. How are folks supposed to know what they are doing wrong if they are never told or witnessed to what is wrong? What the Lord is telling you is to notice the elephant in the room, which would be the sin, admit it by confessing it, and give your heart to him, because he promises then, in verse 17, to him that overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So that is the love and the mercy the Lord has for those who find conviction and turn to him with their whole heart. And I always say in many of the writings on my blog that if you aren't sure something is a sin, ask him to reveal it to you. Because if you truly seek him, he will reveal it to you guys. So now we move on to the corrupt church. And if you take a look at Revelation 2, verses 19 through 23, it says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into the great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know I am he, who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one according to your works. So in verse 20, we are being warned of those in the church who have the Jezebel spirit. That would be the wolves in the sheep's clothing, or in other words, they are nothing what they appear to be on the surface. Through their cunning sweet talk and misleadings, they often lead many into sin. And they also tend to pervert the word, much in the same way that the compromising church does, except they tend to do it in a more stealthy way often mesmerizing those around them, or by trying to start trouble by manipulation, and those who are unaware of how to spot the seducing spirit. And yes, some of them with the spirit will use sex to carry out their desires that are self-serving, and when they work in the church, can have a tendency to mislead if not kicked out by the congregation. 
if not careful, they can take from you much in the same way a person with a Judas spirit would. They usually like to prey on the emotionally vulnerable, but they also try their tactics with anyone who, who gives them the time of day. Those who are spiritually aware usually spot them, and they generally disappear when their presence is found out. Sometimes these Jezebels will try to twist the word to try to justify things, and they may even use certain sweet-nothing praises to put folks under spells of thinking they are innocent, causing other members of the church to fight. So, just want to tell you to be aware that if you have someone like that among your church, to have nothing to do with them and remove them immediately. So, guys, just be aware that if you have someone like that among your church, to have nothing to do with them and remove them immediately. That's a seducing spirit, and it seeks to stab you in the back while leading you into sin at the same time. You know, the word is clear as to the consequences of those who do such things while they disguise themselves as a woman of God, but they are anything but, and their actions usually show it. Now, I'm sure men have done it too, guys. You know, I, I'm sure that, you know, it's not just women, but the instances I have heard of often involve women. And the word is also referring to them here as prophetess. So that indicates a woman. While a church ought to be welcoming, they also need to know what to look for, and usually you know them by the fruits they bear. And by the way, this doesn't just happen in the church. It also occurs in workplaces. I've seen it where they'll act flirty, and that's the nice way of putting it with bosses to get favoritism, but it's usually because they intend to get something out of it that nobody else would otherwise get. And once they got what they came for, they're gone, leaving everyone else with the responsibility of cleaning up their mess or reinstating the trust that was lost within the workplace. And with that, we now move on to Revelation 3, which starts with the dead church. The scripture in Revelation 3, verses 1 through 5 say, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And so, what is being said here is some call themselves his, but they act nothing like a servant of Christ. They are usually greedy, prideful, rude, self-serving, unhelpful, unloving, and usually unforgiving. Not to be taken out of context as it applies to false prophets, but Matthew 7, verses 16 through 20, can also be applied also to the works of, by faith concerning fruits, where it says, You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. So you can liken this to the faith without works being dead, whereas in James 2.15-17, through 17, the word says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I have seen in situations with friends I supposedly had, where when I needed them, even as someone just to talk to, if I was sad, for example... They were nowhere to be found. They would tell me they loved me, but wouldn't ask if there was anything they could do to help, though I told them what I was going through. I especially noticed this once the pandemic started. I don't know if any of you guys have uh, noticed that yourselves. It's like that saying that goes, nobody loves you when you're down. 
And you know there is truth to that because that's exactly what it felt like. You need to remember that when you see someone in need and feel the pull in your spirit to help them, you should. Because one thing that has been revealed to me is that these situations can be a test of a person who is well able to provide, and the Lord is testing that person to see what they will do. Will they be merciful, or will they just tell the person in need to have a nice day and move on about their business? You see, if you call yourself a Christian, then faith should be demonstrated by works. Even lending your ear for empathy is faith by works. Now, not everybody is going to do the same types of works, but like the body, everyone serves a purpose. Some may teach, some may provide, some may lend a helping hand, and some may offer counseling, because sometimes only the simplest of works are needed. And so that is what is being addressed in these verses concerning the church, where those who should demonstrate their faith as an example for others. And that is why James 2.26 goes on to say, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You can't have works if you don't have true faith. One thing being noticed since the pandemic began has been the behavior in many, and how they conduct themselves in the way they treat others. In many ways it has brought out the best in people, as unfortunate events and disasters usually do, but it's also exposed to many of us, those who are self-serving and have acted very uncaring toward others. Many people are finding out who their true friends are, and the results are not exactly pleasing. Don't know if any of you guys have gone through that. I know quite a few people who have, and I know myself last year, I was really beginning to find out who my friends really were. I wasn't hearing from hardly anybody. And then when I did, it was just, you know, nobody was concerned about where things were going, you know, in the spiritual, they only wanted to talk about, you know, small talk like the weather or this show on TV or, you know, just things that really don't matter to me anymore. I mean, the weather's important, but, you know, to me, that reminds me of coffee talk at work when I'd be in the coffee room and somebody would be watching the view on TV and they'd say something to me. And I'm like, I don't watch that garbage. Anyway, as we continue on in verse four and five in Revelation three, where it says, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name for the book of, from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So what is being said here is that there are some in the church still doing his works by faith because they live by his word, having on those proper garments, and as such they will be found worthy. He that continues to do these works by faith will be clothed in white garments as they truly belong to him by doing his will. So then this leads to the faithful church that we read about in Revelation 3, verse 8 through 11. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, but have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. So what's being said here is the real church, meaning those who have endured through the trials and tribulations, kept on their proper attire, and held tight to their faith without wavering, will be rescued from the tribulations of the very last days. He does not desire his people to be here for what is coming upon the earth. I mean, it's not going to be pretty, guys. The Lord tells us to persevere, 
not give in to the demands of the world, so that we may keep the crown of life he has placed upon us, for we shall then become a pillar in the temple of God, and rest from our labors. These are those who have been faithful to his calling, and have endured until they are gathered to meet him. Now in the last verses of Revelation 3, we are then led to study the lukewarm church. These would be representative of folks who are neither here nor there. These verses demonstrate by works and faith those who are able to do them, but they don't. Essentially, though they were blessed in one way or another, they have wasted the gift given unto them, and have not really done anything to serve the Lord. They say they are believers, and describe themselves of being of the faith, but their actions have little to show for it. Kind of a little similar to what we talked about earlier with the dead church. They rely on their own wisdom, and their own gains, and they don't call on the name of the Lord. When we look at verses 15 through 20, they say, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So he's essentially saying, serve me or don't call yourself mine. He doesn't desire anyone who belongs to him to be on the fence and just drifting. And he's also speaking here to the non-believers. The latter part, in verses 18 through 20, are speaking to these individuals to welcome Christ into their heart, that he may cleanse you of the bad qualities and wash your garments clean through refinement, so that he may truly call you his. The Lord is giving us a chance to see what is wrong so as to heal the body as it is related to the church. And that begins with each of us in that we all play a part. If all parts are not working together, they start to be separated, almost like they are being cut out, you know, similar to a cancer in the physical body. You can see by the difference in the churches how they are divided and not working as one within the body of Christ, because good and evil can't coexist. The church that goes along with sexual immorality and worship of idols cannot stand strong and help the church that is being persecuted. There is only one answer, and it's in Jesus, for the forgiveness of these sins, so that the church may be healed and once united. After each church is represented, he is told from the angel, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, how do you hear what the Spirit says? Well, you have to first repent from what is pointed out so that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. You need to draw near to him. That way you have his Spirit within you. And you do that by first accepting him. No, that's wearing the proper attire. And that starts by picking up your cross to follow him if you haven't already done so. I wanted to make one more point in closing out this episode, speaking of the sin in the body, because I recently experienced an incident where whom I thought was a fellow brother asked me about preparing, and I told him politely that he should seek the Lord for instruction on what to do. This was after several of us that know him have told him the same thing multiple times. I don't really like rehashing it. Um, he didn't like my answer and accused me of preaching pre-trib comfort, whereas I said no such thing. You know, what I said was, you need to seek the Lord and let him guide you. And, you know, the reason I say that is because we're warned about self-confidence in James 5, verse 13 through 17, where it says, Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town, and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. 
it's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. And then if you look at verse 17, it says, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So you're commanded in the first half of that what you ought to do. And so if you rebel against that and don't seek him, you're in sin because you should focus on him first so he can guide you. And, you know, that falls back to the first church we covered. This is what I speak of when I say you should seek the Lord for direction, especially when it comes to being prepared when we are facing such uncertainty. You know, this is where I come from based on what the word says, not standing on the basis of assumption or sitting in the spiritual lazy boy and waiting for Jesus to return and doing nothing, where in fact I am giving you instruction by his word what you ought to be doing. And so because of this, I need to clarify up front that I do not have enough revelation to say one way or another anything conclusive about the rapture. You know, some folks believe in pre-trib, some mid-trib, others post-trib. Now, guys, I've prayed about it. You know, I've asked the Lord for revelation on it. But to this day, um, I have not received an answer. And until I do, I'm not going to make a presumption one way or the other. There is scripture that is yet to be fulfilled. So you got to keep that in mind. And that includes the saints to be martyred for Jesus Christ. When you read about that later on in uh, the higher uh, chapters of Revelation. Now, you can see in Matthew 24 where we are. You know, it's never been so clear as it is right now. You know, we're already seeing the wars and the rumors of wars starting right now. You know, we're, there's earthquakes in various places, places they haven't even been. And you got volcanoes going off in diverse places. I mean, we're seeing pestilence. And though we may not see the famine yet, all it would take is any one of these events to bring that on. We certainly see governments paving the way for persecution of those who are unwilling to go along with this evil globalist agenda. I mean lawlessness is pretty much you know they, they've been setting up the laws to get rid of the police and defund the police and now we see that lawlessness is being celebrated so i mean it doesn't take too much thinking to understand where things are going um you know they want chaos that's that's the name of the game and what the evil ones are doing so i say you need to be vigilant where that's all concerned what i will say is that we are told to keep on that proper attire at all times for the uniting of the bridegroom and what I just explained illustrates that very reason. You know, our uniting could come when he takes us out of here by means of any of these events. Regardless, we are to endure to the end, and we do so by keeping on that attire, keeping our eyes fo fixed on him. That's, that once again goes back to the focus. Not taking them off of him and being exposed spiritually naked with no oil in the lamp to light our way. You want to do this before there is a famine for the word and before those of us who are helping to teach you can no longer do so. You know, guys, we don't know from one day to the next what's going to happen. And we don't know at some point they could even, you know, to quell free speech, shut down the Internet. Take this advice while you can and cherish it in your heart, the same as with the word itself. You know, I'm only going to mention this once because this is my first podcast, so there is an understanding. Um... If you've heard me or seen my writings, you know that I have a very direct way of communicating to others what needs to be said in this late hour. And the Lord is using me for this reason to make you aware of what you need to be doing. I'm going to be honest when I say I don't have the time to deal with any naysayers or those who simply want to argue for the sake of having the last word. It's one thing if you have a real question and, want to, and you desire to further your understanding and that you may grow in your faith, and it's yet another to go around accusing someone of being a false teacher or arguing false doctrine and not having any understanding of the word at all. 
I wrote recently on my blog about how to hear the Lord and what needs to be done in order to, to accomplish that. So I would suggest starting there if you struggle with what I say and present your case to the Lord on the matter of asking for wisdom so you understand. Taking accusatory tones that are based on opinion and causing grief among other Christians is not akin to keeping it on the proper attire or keeping it spotless. In fact, what you're doing is staining it up by attempting to drag others through the mud. I mean, what are your motives if you do that? To have the last word? To mislead others? Now, if you're doing that, consider your actions carefully when speaking. And if you still struggle and desire to argue, then I say, may I suggest Facebook as the appropriate platform for that. I'm just going to say that I personally don't have time for it, and the Lord will tell me not to respond as he desires it to be an example. If you consider yourself a Christian, and you make your way around the various Christian message boards and ministries creating strife, heartache, and sorrow, do not think for one moment that escapes the attention of the Lord. You know, at the end of the day, you can prepare all you want and think what you want, but if you aren't living right and treating others with contempt, the Lord will find you there. You know, these are serious times, and he has raised his people up to do these works. You know, we lead the lost, we preach the word of God to those who need to hear these messages, embrace witnessing, and hear the prophecies. Those of us doing this work do not have the time to play games with contrived statements designed to create gotcha and aha moments. That's baiting, and I was talking about that earlier. It's not only baiting, but it's a distraction from the works he has sent us to do. The Lord has told me on several occasions he will contend with those who attempt to drag down those he has sent forth as the workers in the field. For the two that don't listen or understand, four others will. Three of those will agree. So once again, my advice to you is to humble yourself before the Lord and take it up with him if you don't agree with what his messengers are saying. You know, I don't teach cookie-cutter, watered-down Christianity. There are plenty of channels on YouTube without making anyone an example that teach that kind of doctrine. But you should be aware that a lot of it's false or spoken out of context, and that is a big reason we are in the mess we're in. That's why the church is in the state it's in. I also feel that is one of the reasons the Lord led me to begin this ministry, as well as many others already out there. You know, different people are reached in different ways. Somebody might have a different approach than I do. My approach is direct because the hour is late and I don't do delicate dances around the truth. And I certainly don't do delicate dances with evil. If I know something is a lie and misleading to others, and I have the wisdom poured out on me to understand, I'm going to point it out. You know, you want to shine a light on it, because that's what we're told to do. Take part in no evil deed, but rather expose it. So, I don't omit what needs to be said from what the Lord shows me. I'm going to give it to you straight. I show others the time it is, and what they need to do, and the areas they need to reflect on where the word of God applies. A condescending attitude and the comments that accompany it do nothing more than cause trouble and strife. They're counterproductive, unhelpful, and do nothing more than create division within the body of Christ. So if that's what you're doing, please stop and repent. You know, don't be the spiritual cancer in the body that needs to be cut out. You know, the word tells us in John 15 too, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You know, Jesus went on in Matthew 12:30 and said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. You know, further, if you look at Proverbs 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise use knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. You know, if you look at Proverbs 17 through 28, 
It says, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. In layman terms, these essentially mean, if you have nothing good to say, keep your mouth shut. And frankly, my parents taught me that from a young age. You know, that's wisdom to be had. You know, I've learned that a long time ago. If I ran my mouth when I was a kid, I either got smacked or I got my mouth washed out with soap. You know, you don't need to prove yourself to anyone and have an odor of arrogance to make a point. There are polite ways to get your point across. Don't be a part of Matthew 24 and allow your love for others to wax cold. You know, don't allow yourself to be misled and lose the salt in that you end up falling away when times get tough or you disagree with a fellow brother or sister. Do not be one of those workers left in the field when the other disappears. We need to be building up the body of Christ, not tearing it down. We need to be encouraging each other, not hating on each other, just because we didn't like the way they instructed us. So we decided to be spiteful and make up harmful and hateful accusations. You know, that's, that's not Christ-like, guys. Don't go out of your way looking for reasons to be offended and then hurting fellow brethren over something trivial that was never said. You know, this type of behavior not only leads you into sin, but serves as a snare to lead others into a temptation to sin by responding. So, it's a double whammy there. I suggest you tread carefully because words have power and can hurt people if not used carefully. And speaking of words with power, we need to embrace the true teachings in the Word of God. These will help you along in your journey and help you to grow spiritually with the Lord. Remember that his command, as it is written in John 15, 17, is for us to love one another. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm going to leave you with one thing in closing. There ought to be no strife in the body of Christ, as is also known as his church. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to leave it there. And I'd like to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we lift up to you those seeking understanding of the division they are witnessing right now, not only in the church, but in this country. Lord, Father in heaven, we ask you to create in them a new heart and lead those who are lost with the eyes to see and the ears to hear, the wisdom to understand and the discernment to know the times. We ask, Lord, that they be filled with conviction to understand Christ's love and mercy for them so they turn from their sinful ways and be granted repentance and redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I give thanks to you for the ability through your gifts of love, mercy, grace, and wisdom to speak to those you desire to reach that they may be led to you and return to you, that they may find their redemption in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it is my prayer that this podcast has been a blessing to you. May the Lord Jesus bless you and keep you strong in these times of uncertainty. Stay safe out there, everyone. Have a great week.